Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Raise your hand, everybody, if you're excited for season two of The Chris Johnston Show. Yeah! <laughs> Also, raise your hand if you're excited for training camp to start. We both have training camps to to worry about in our respective cities. Siege, I'm excited. It does not it does not feel real, does it? It's such a long off season in some ways. Obviously, we enjoyed uh, our, our downtime when we had it. I know you had a busy summer here, moving all the way out there to Calgary. You got a little new backdrop for season two. Um, our Calgary man. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm 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 ready to, to rock, and it's been enough enough sort of trying to project what's going to happen. Now we get to start to see on the ice what you know who's who's good, who's who's not so good, which players have taken a step, and all those types of things. I got to mention this. So before we started recording this episode, uh, CJ had himself like his little coffee pot, and he was pouring himself some coffee. He was trying not to show it on air. I really I really want you to see it. So he's got his his, his good good coffee for those watching on YouTube. Uh, yes, I am in Calgary now. Well, that means I'm about two hours behind what CJ normally is. I know I'm a person who says that, okay, I'm going to have like one coffee a week. I think that number might change. I really think it might change now. I think I might end up being like one coffee a day at this point. I I, I think I might need one. <laughs> I've had more than one coffee for every episode we've taped, like while we're recording. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm obviously all on board with you doing that. Uh, you're going to have some early mornings, but I'm glad you're sticking with us and we're going to have another great season, pal. Remember, this is not work for me. That being said, I'll need anything I can to get myself going. I should mention, though, uh, really happy to be back for season two. Really happy that everyone uh, is uh, back for season two, including producer Nick, obviously. Uh, and thank you to everyone who watched all the summer episodes and the uh, the mini episode as well. We really appreciate that. And we hope you enjoy what's to come for season two. I mentioned training camp. There's one other thing that's been on my mind over the last few days. I noticed a lot of a uh, lot of people have gotten themselves into. Well, we're in Vegas for the NHL media tour. I unfortunately was not there. CJ, were you there? I don't think you were there. I wasn't there this year. I, I have done a number of them over the years, though. Um, you know, it's funny that is the real back to school moment because all of a sudden. You know, for anyone who doesn't know that the, the league does two media tours now, one for European based players and then one for North American guys. Each team tends to send one representative, sometimes two. And basically it's a day or two of just intense interviews, like one room after another for the players. Uh, if you're on the, the interviewing side, you, you literally do sometimes 20 interviews in a day. Uh, and so talk about you, you go from summer where you haven't really necessarily thought about hockey all of a sudden you got 20 one-on-one interviews, you know, you got to be on your game. So, you know, that, that usually was the true back to school moment uh, for me um, this year. I didn't participate in the one in Vegas, but you know, it looked like a lot of fun. And, and um, you know, it's it just a sign that the, the real season's around the corner. Big shout out to producer Nick though, because uh, of all three of us for the CJ show, he was the only one who uh, represented, well, he technically was representing someone else, but he, uh, you know, we like to think of him as representing the CJ show in Vegas for the NHL media tour. Um, Let's think, so you did kind of mention what normally happens in terms of the content and the access that you get, like how useful is it for journalists out there? Are you getting good stuff? Are you getting good content? I mean, it's one thing to get stuff you could just write about, but in terms of interacting with the players there, like if you can just, kind of add a little bit more description to what that's like. I'd say it depends on what kind of schedule the players had, you know, the, the one downside, I mean, look at, it's an awesome thing. The league does like there's, there's no, there's no point of criticism here or complaint, but just, just factually, you know, it gets to the end of the day and maybe a player has had to do an on ice portion, you know, for the cameras, maybe he's done 10 or 12 previous interviews. Obviously there's some overlap in the questions, you know, it, it, it does vary on on you know, sort of where you find the player and how crazy his day has been. But I would say as a, as a general rule, yeah, it's super valuable. Uh, it's very relaxed. You know, it, nothing, nothing started yet. Right. I mean, as much as these guys are, you know, they've trained their bodies to this point pretty hard to, to be ready for camp. You know, they, they haven't really faced any pressure yet. There's, no one's lost any games. No one's injured, you know, for the most part that's going to that event. So 
you know, it's, it's a really nice time to catch up with the players. It's also changed over the years, Julian. You know, I, I went to the first couple that they did. They started doing them in New York City. I'm going to say somewhere about 10 years ago. I, I don't know the exact date range. And in the beginning, there, there wasn't all that many of us that went down to it. It was actually the first one that I was at was at the league's head office in New York. And literally, I just sat in a boardroom at that time. And, you know, Patrice Bergeron comes through. Sidney Crosby comes through. You know, a variety of other players. And, you know, that was immensely valuable. But, you know, like anything else, as soon as that started happening, everybody wanted to send more. You know, the rights holders send a whole bunch of people. I saw, you know, I know Nick was down there as part of Sportsnet's brigade. It looked like everybody who works at Sportsnet and hockey was was there. Jeff Merrick, Elliot Friedman, Steve Dangle, a host of others. Luke Fox was there. Um, and so it's it's maybe become a little bit less intimate or, or one-on-one-ish. I will say, though, right before the, the, the pandemic, I think August 2019, I had a chance to go to Stockholm uh, for the European based one. And at that time, I don't know if it's still the case. It was it was way more relaxed. There just was just, you know, less media around. It was it was actually more into the summer, too. It was, you know, it was a few weeks out from training camp instead of one week out. And it was tremendous, the access. And, you know, it was a great spot to get stories, too. Um you know, I remember uh, getting a good chat with William Nylander there, for example. You know, he's someone I, I cover here in Toronto. It's, it's just not as easy to to, to get one on one time with him um, as with any Leaf because there is so much coverage of that team. And so, it's 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 been really cool to do that. I'd I'd love to go again. I didn't I didn't skip it for any particular reason this year. It just didn't align with um, my work schedule too well. But uh, you know, it's it, it it I think it's helpful for the league and it's helpful for those players too. I mean, really, the reason it exists. Sure, it's to generate publicity for the league, but but it's trying to manage all the preseason asks of the players into one spot. And so I do know they go on the ice and do a bunch of other things. You know, all those like crazy graphics you see at the start of an ESPN broadcast or what have you. I mean, they're largely shot there. And um, you know, it's uh, it's it's a it's a good thing, but it, it becomes a bit of a zoo now because you know there's a lot of reporters that go down. I imagine that's also where like the NHL shoots a lot of those like puck personality videos where they try to get all these players in different rooms and ask them, Hey, what's your favorite concert you've ever been to? Or what's an artist you like, or, or something like that, they, that they just randomly kind of drop throughout the year. It seems like it would be a cool thing. I'd love to be there one year. You'll get there, man. Don't worry. It's uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, it is. It is a cool event. And, and yeah, it's just nice to see the players relax. That's the one thing. And, and, it's certainly not a, again, not a criticism of them during the season, but like when they're in work mode during the year, it's, it's harder to get some personality out of the players. I think the season is just so demanding. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with teams and what have you, but to see the guys relax, like I saw a clip from uh, the 32 thoughts podcast with Sidney Crosby and, you know, he's talking about how many drinks he had at Nathan McKinnon's Stanley cup party. I mean, just stuff like that. I think fans like to, to see the human side of the players. And it's, I, I think it's an excellent opportunity to get, to tell those kind of stories, to get that kind of access and, and just ask those questions. Right. I mean, it's, it's a little bit less appropriate to start asking that. And, you know, once the season started or in, in you know, you're in, in the work mode again, in the dressing room. I will put this out in the universe, uh, live Chris Johnston show from the uh, NHL media tour next season, wherever it happens to be. You know, we've never had a guest. We, that would require us to have guests. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to evolve and change if we're ever doing that. I mean, I guess it, I mean, and also, I mean, depending on who the guest is, I mean, if Sidney Crosby wants to hang out with us, I mean, yeah, come who are, on. Who are we to say like, no, this is a no guest podcast. And, uh, <laughs> you know, not, not today, not this time. Okay. So we'll talk more about uh, some of the different captain news. Uh, we'll touch off on uh, the respective teams recovering for training camp. And uh, we'll, we will obviously get to your questions uh, from Ask CJ. A lot of them coming through on Discord by the way. But first, we must get to You Can Bet That with David Bastel. Yes, we are bringing it back for yet another season. As always, uh, if you are playing with, if you are on Sports Interaction, if you're playing uh, only for those 19 and over, we ask that you play responsibility and there is a link to responsible gaming strategies in the description of the show. So there's a lot we need to get to. In particular, uh, some storylines revolving uh, captaincies, uh, a situation in Winnipeg where they don't have a captain and a situation in Montreal where not only do they have a captain, they've named this player the youngest captain in team history. Which of these two stories in Winnipeg and Montreal interests you more? Well, probably a team removing its captain. I mean, 
let's let's be honest. It, it, it it's happened. It's it's not a first in NHL history, but it doesn't happen a whole lot. And so I think that it, it offers there's a little bit more room for analysis on why that might happen versus you know I think with Nick Suzuki. It's it's a natural choice. I've seen a bunch of his former teammates, you know, Philip Deneau actually at the NHL media tour mentioning like it didn't surprise him at all that he was a natural next selection. So I think I think that the removing of the captaincy is always a little bit more surprising than someone being named one. For sure. For the, for some added context with the Winnipeg situation. Yes, Blake Wheeler was captain for a couple of seasons. The C has been taken off of him. I don't know if it's convenient, but kind of interesting that I believe uh, for the last few years, he had like a, a no movement clause in his deal. And it looks as if there's a modified no trade that's kind of kicking in for this year. Uh, Mark Shifley told sports and he was a bit surprised at this happening. How do you feel about this situation? What does this mean for Blake Wheeler and the jets going forward for this coming year with, with Rick bonus in his first year as head coach there? Well, let's start with the team, right? Because as much as this is about an individual, it's about an, an organizational shift too. And you go back to the Jets, they were in the Western Conference final against the Vegas Golden Knights, what, 2017, five years ago. I mean, I think a lot of us, I covered that series on the ground. I think a lot of us thought, oh, wow, like Winnipeg, this is going to be a team that's got a chance to win a cup. Each of these, you know, for the next five or seven years, it's so many great young players. They still have a lot of those great young players. They maybe aged a little bit, um, but they, they haven't come close to that level of success since. And so I think it's only natural you know, I'd say it's fair to say they've been a little bit of a disappointment. You know, last season in particular uh, was was just not a good year in Winnipeg. I think that there's a lot of sort of outside reasons that might have happened. You know, having Paul Maurice step down as their coach midseason, um, you know, was a difficult thing for them. And they never really kind of got back on track after that point in time. Um, but, you know, I think it does make sense if you're looking at the, the Jets um, as a whole. They obviously haven't met their own goals. And so you, you got to try something new. They've changed up the coaching staff now. I think the style of play they they, they uh, you know try to to roll it on the ice is going to be different. And you know Blake Wheeler's held that that captaincy since 2016. So you know I, I don't know if it's such a direct indictment of him um, individually, uh, but it's certainly things weren't working well there. There's lots of talk of sort of a dressing room divide or division. Uh, I think that they have to sort of start fresh, and so it, it makes a whole lot of sense. You know, Blake Wheeler himself said he was caught off guard or that he was surprised by it, that, that he didn't see it coming. Um, you know, but he's a pro and, and I don't expect it to necessarily change anything about him, but it certainly is indicative of a different approach for that that entire team, that organization and the way they operate. You mentioned him being a pro. I, I'm trying to think of if it's ever happened before or how many times it's happened where a guy has the C removed and stays with the team, tries to play through whatever situation they're in, or at the very least has not like asked for a trade or anything like that. I'm very curious about how Blake Wheeler responds to this because he could easily just say, well, you know what? If you're not going to make me captain of this team, just put me on another team that, you know, well, at least help me win or is at least closer to contention because Winnipeg is still in that very weird stage where, you know, are they a contending team? I don't think they really are necessarily anymore, even though they have all those players that they have. Uh, I don't know. It's a really interesting situation with Blake. It is. Look, but there was trade talk around him this offseason. Uh, you know, it's it's a difficult cap hit to move. I mean, you, we'll, we'll hear that a lot with a, a number of players who might talk about potentially being traded throughout this season. Um, but, you know, it's no no secret that there's not an abundance of cap space out there in general in the league. And so, you know, the reality is he might have to stay. But it's it's happened and, and guys have been plenty successful. I mean, Joe Thornton is the most famous one I can think of in recent memory. You know, had the captaincy removed in San Jose, stayed on with that team, had all kinds of success. I believe they might have changed captains there a couple times. Patrick Marlowe, uh, I kind of forget the chain of events in San Jose, but they definitely moved the captaincy around and and still kept a lot of those same pieces for years on end. And and they made it work fine. You know, I think it's it's an awkward conversation, I would imagine. It's not probably a pleasant feeling for Blake Wheeler, but you know, when you when you break it all down, he's paid to play hockey. Um, you know, the move's been made now. I expect he'll come to camp and, and you know, do what he's done. I mean, he's he's authored a pretty nice career. If you look from where he began to, to the career he's had, I mean, he's he's been someone who, who found a way to elevate maybe a little bit later on past where you expect a player to have his prime. And, you know, while he is on the wrong side of 30 in terms of having a lot of lot of years left, you know, I, I don't I don't necessarily see this as, as something that has to be a pure schism between him and the team. I mean, there's probably a little bit of licking the wounds time required, 
um, because it's, you know, it's public, right? That's, that's the whole thing about a captaincy. It's like, it, on one hand, I'm, I'm always, you know, when you're in a marketplace where a team doesn't have a captain, it gets discussed a lot with the local media. It's on the radio or podcast, would have you fans to debate it, but it sort of doesn't matter, but it does. I mean, it's, it's a ceremonial role in a lot of ways. Um, there's a practical side to it. You know, captains, for example, usually work with the head coaching staff to the head coach and the staff to, to sort of plan what days are off days and practice days and how the team travels. And there is, there is some practical sides to it, but it's, it's sort of a, you know, it's, it's, it's emblematic of something. And that album has been taken off, you know, Blake Wheeler's sweater now. And so we all know about it. We're talking about it. Uh, so it, you kind of have to take your laundry. It doesn't all get kept in house when you, when you do something like this, but you know, I, I think for the jets, quite honestly, look, if you look at their offseason, Julian, they didn't really change a whole lot, right? I mean, a couple of players out the door in free agency, a couple of new guys in. You know, they signed Sam Gagne here at the end of the summer uh, to, to, you know, replace some some veteran minutes that they lost uh, with Paul Stastny moving on to Carolina. But, you know, they didn't change a lot functionally about their team beyond the coaching staff. So I think this is a natural next change because they view themselves maybe not as a top tier contender, but they're, they're trying to win. I mean, make no mistake about it. They have when he's on and Connor Hellebuck, you know, a top five goaltender in the league. They have a lot of offensive scoring threats. Defensively is where the team has never been able to really get over the hump. I mean, when, at best Hellebuck's bailed them out when they're at their worst, they've just let, kind of left them out to dry. They've never, they've never been a really good team with shot share and, and, you know, trying to limit the chances in their own end. I would suspect that's a huge uh, point of ask for Rick Bonus, you know, it's something, frankly, the Dallas Stars did very well under him, right? They, they were a team that, you know, we, we saw them play all the way to the Stanley Cup final in, in, in the bubble in 2020. Um, you know, they did that largely on on the strength of their, their defense, and, and they did it not with their starting goaltender at the time. Um, you know, it was, it was Hudobin that, that, that carried the net because Ben Bishop was out injured. And so, um, you know, I, I think that you're going to see a lot of changes in Winnipeg, even though they didn't change a ton of personnel. And this is just a natural next step to me. So what about Nick Suzuki in Montreal being named team captain, the youngest captain in team history out there? Um, I I know I've written about the fact that other guys in the system like a Brendan Gallagher or Joel Edmondson could get consideration for something like this. Uh, but they gave it to Nick Suzuki, who, look, he's going to be around with this team for a very long time. I think it's, this year is the first year of that extension that he signed uh, last year. Um, how do you feel about Nick Suzuki being captain of the Montreal Canadiens? Well, what's interesting about it is, you know, on one hand, I'm talking about it doesn't matter, but in a place like Montreal, it does matter, right? And we've already seen that the subject of this captaincy, you know, get dragged into some of the, the provincial election stuff that's going on with politicians, you know, demanding he speak French or speak more French and all this. And, and you know, without addressing that issue specifically, it's just, it's a sign of how important the team is in the province. It's not, it's, it's not a typical kind of, NHL franchise, of course, uh, not just because of their past success, but I think just because of the, the intense passion that that is is around them. And so, what what makes that interesting for me is that they've chosen someone in his early twenties to do it. When you know Brendan Gallagher, you know who I think a lot of us thought was probably going to be the next captain over the years. I mean, it just it just appeared that he would be next in in succession, if you will, um, because of what he's meant to the team, the, the heart and soul way that he plays you know obviously signed a long-term contract himself so you know while he's getting up there in age there's, there's no reason to expect he's he's moving on anytime soon um but you know the other side of the coin there is that this is kind of a refresh a reboot a rebuild whatever you want to call it i mean it probably makes sense to have the next sort of generation of the team grow up under someone like nick suzuki and so you know i'm not by any means questioning his capabilities but it's it's a lot to put on a younger guy you know that, that that's just that's just a fact uh and it says a lot that they have the the comfort to do so and you know i think it says a lot about him that that martin san louis approached him in july about it and you know he didn't really make the decision until september i mean it was it's not that he was necessarily toying with saying no but he certainly had to think about it a little bit before saying yes and so you know i i like the move but you know it is going to be a lot more on his shoulders and you know, I think that'll be something to watch this season uh, with the Canadian, just how he handles that. Uh, you know, I think he's handled himself quite well, frankly, through some of this debate about his language skills and 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 all of that. And, you know, I, I don't see any reason to think that'll change. But, you know, his his life will change now as an NHL player. There's just going to be a lot more for him to, to work through than just, you know, trying to be in the best shape he can to be mentally where he needs to be to perform on the ice. Yeah, I think he'll be okay with that uh, responsibility. He seems mature enough to handle it. The the language thing for me, I mean, 
I just think it's a bit opportunist with uh, you mentioned there is a provincial election. We are on the cusp. Uh, Quebec is on the cusp of that. I think a lot of that is a little bit adv- advantageous. No disrespect to anyone running, but like, I think that's what it is, really. Uh, also, newspaper, man. Yeah, come on. Like, I, I, I see what's going on here. But uh, no, I think Nick Suzuki should be fine with the C. I understand it is going to be a lot of pressure on him, but. Yeah, it's a. I, I think it's a lot of nothing with the whole language debate thing, but we don't need to rehash any more talk about uh, la langue française uh, au Quebec. We don't need to do that with uh, with Nick Suzuki. We can move on to something else like Nathan McKinnon and uh, the fact that he could be due for a, a pretty hefty raise uh, fairly soon. Seems as if he and the Avalanche are pretty close to a contract extension. It seems like they're going to get there, but, you know, my eyebrows were raised a little bit at some of Nathan McKinnon's comments out of the, the media tour in Vegas, um, you know, because, you know, he he did sort of express some degree of surprise that it's taken a little longer than he would have thought. Um, you know, you, it almost seems like it would be automatic, right? He's he's had so many great seasons earning, you know, what was a below market rate uh, because of the contract he signed way back when. And, you know, it was their opportunity after winning a Stanley Cup to reward him. I, I have full confidence they're going to, by the way. And I'm not at all anticipating that this will go off the rails. But, you know, he also mentioned he, he wants it done by the start of the season. So he's imposing a little bit of a deadline here to, to get things done. I, I think that it will happen. I imagine it will probably set up quite nicely, maybe with the team coming back to training camp at some point that they can have a press conference and, and make it official. And I mean, look. Everyone in that organization has a right to feel good about themselves they, with the season they just had, finally getting over the hump and winning a cup. And I think it's it'll be a great moment for the team to, to get Nathan Kinn locked up long term. But, you know, it's not been a straight just, hey, write down your number on a piece of paper and uh, we'll turn that into a legal document and, and pay you that. I mean, I think that there there is a negotiation going on. Remains to be seen. You know, I think what a lot of us are looking for is, is he going to crest uh, Connor McDavid's $12.5 million in terms of, uh, an AEV on the contract. I think he has a case to do so, um, you know, which is not saying that I, I think he's better than Connor McDavid, but, you know, one thing to consider is that when Connor McDavid signed his deal, it was a certain percentage of the cap. The cap has gone up, even though it hasn't gone up in these recent years, it's gone up since McDavid signed that deal. And I, and I think McKinnon, you know, could build a, a credible case to be paid somewhere in that same percentage range. And, and it would probably take his number higher. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where the, how it comes out in the wash, but I do think it's possible he ends up as the, the highest paid player in the league, but it's not a guarantee. And that's, that's some of the details that are still being worked out here is just, just, you know, settling on what exactly this deal looks like, but you know, it'll be no mystery. It's going to be a long-term contract, seven, something in the seven, eight year range. And, and uh, as, as McKinnon said himself, it's not going to be single digits. So it's, it's 10 million or above. And, and, you know, clearly the, the class of player we're talking about, that's, that's where he belongs. It's kind of interesting that he mentioned, you know, hey, it's not going to be in single digits. This is a guy who I think probably had like the best value contract in the league the last how many years. Doesn't that, I mean, not to kind of say, put words in his mouth, but like kind of interesting that he would single out the fact that no, it's not going to be in single digits. I mean, it's kind of obvious, but not a lot of, not a lot of other players would go so far as to say that. Yeah. I mean, he's, I, I actually welcome his, how open he is. You know, I, I like to be and like I find him, He's always been pretty forthright with things the times I've been around him um, in a professional setting. So I, I think that I've, I've got no problem with him saying that. I, I think, you know, it's also, he, he deserves it. I mean, at the end of the day and, and deserve, I realize it could be a tricky word for a person out there working uh, what we might call a more normal job. And, you know, the difference between seven, eight, nine, ten million. 10 million, it's just like, it's almost impossible for the average person, including myself to wrap ourselves our minds around that kind of money. But if you, if you look at his peers in the league, the fact that he's, you know, been a top scorer the last number of seasons, he's been nominated for the Hart Trophy more than once. I mean, he's, he clearly deserves to be paid like Austin Matthews, like, like uh, Nathan McKinnon, um, you know, or, or Tammy Panarin, all those guys up in that, that range. And we'll just see where it ends up. The, the, the thing I feel bad for players about honestly is in a hard cap system, there is some pressure on them either implicitly or explicitly depending on what's said at the, the negotiating table to help the team still be competitive. And, and so if Nathan McKinnon jumps from six and a half million to 13 million, for example, if that were to happen, you know, it's, it's going to be harder for the avalanche to build a team around him, especially starting next season when that deal would kick in, because, you know, we're not anticipating a big salary cap jump for next year, but, you know, on, on the flip side of that, that that's why the GM, you know, and, and the front office staff get paid what they do. That's why, you know, that's their job to figure that out. Um, but I do think it, it 
creates an interesting wrench in some of these negotiations. We're going to see it again when it comes time, for example, for Austin Matthews to do an extension with the Maple Leafs. And I think that, you know, it's not that anyone with the Leafs will have necessarily to put that out loud, but it would be in the back of the player's mind too, that as, as much as you want to keep pushing forward, because, you know, when one player moves the bar up, everybody else benefits, I would argue. I mean, the next star, if, if Nathan McKinnon becomes the highest paid player in the league, you know, by average annual value, the next star that signs is probably going to make a little bit more as a result of that. I mean, that's, that's the way the system works. So you know, on, on one hand, you have the other players in the league wanting you to make as much as you can, because it's probably good for everyone, but it also creates some, some complications for your team. And I, and I would think when it's all said and done, what matters most to Nathan McKinnon, sure he wants to be paid fairly, but he probably wants another chance or two or three at lifting that Stanley cup, because it tends to be pretty addictive when you get a chance to do it. Especially when you have Sidney Crosby hanging out at your uh, Stanley Cup parties, enjoying some brewskis. Well, he knows that he's brought that cup back three times. No one will have to remind him that. So he's he's brought it back once. But you know that's that's how athletes are hardwired. You can be sure he's going to want to do it at least a second time and maybe a third to match his his good friend and one time idol. Um, anything on David Pasternak? Uh, he recently said he's pretty happy in Boston, uh, but uh, we know he is due for a contract uh, in the near future. Anything on him? Well, there've been talks there with the Bruins, uh, you know, about an extension. You know, I, I think it's a bit of a crossroads season. I, I believe in Boston in a lot of ways, you know, they got the band back together for one more year. David Krejci came back from Czech Republic, obviously one more year for Patrice Bergeron. But, you know, I think David Pasternak needs to have some level of comfort about the organization's commitment or ability to, to keep competing if he's going to sign a long-term deal. Uh, it doesn't sound like anything's imminent. I'm not sure it needs to be at this point in time, but this will certainly be a, a discussion point through the year. And I think there's a lot of pressure on management here because it is this season where certainly the Bruins are intending to be competitive. That you know they've got some significant hurdles right out of the gate with you know Brad Marchand's going to miss you know a big chunk of the start of the season. Charlie McAvoy is going to be out. I mean they're going to have to weather some absences, but you know they're they're attempting to win a Stanley Cup this year, and so. It's not as though if David Pasternak isn't signed by the deadline, he's being traded, I wouldn't think. Um, but there is the risk, of course, that that you walk him right to free agency and, and you have a situation like John Tavares or some of the others in the past where a team loses a cornerstone player and doesn't get anything back in return. And so I think that will be kind of an interesting dynamic to, to monitor. Um, you know, at this point in time, I don't get the feeling, though, that anything's close, that anything's there's no deadlines being imposed here. It's, it's just more, you know, probably a conversation that will, will continue to happen and we'll see where they end up. You know, I, I, I do think we should take David Pasternak at his word. He does love Boston. Obviously it's been a great situation for him, but you know, you don't necessarily want to be the one guy that signs a long-term deal and is, is grinded through a rebuild either. And so, you know, that's, that's some of what I think has to kind of be managed there. And then obviously finding a contract that, that makes both the team and player happy. Uh, over the last few days, just kind of going from topic to topic just quickly here, uh, there seems to have finally been a resolution in the case with Evander Kane and the San Jose Sharks as uh, both sides have agreed uh, to a contract termination. Any other context we can add to that or is it pretty straightforward? Well, it's straightforward in the sense that basically Evander Kane was made whole. The difference in what was remaining on his deal when the Sharks um, terminated that contract and what he got paid on the extension he signed in Edmonton. Uh, is is essentially being made up in terms of actual money that he'll receive from the team. I think what's interesting is the Sharks themselves uh, had the, the 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 monetary part of that applied to last year's cap, and so there's no actual punitive nature for them moving forward. You know, for example, way back when 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 um, the the Kings had a case like this with Mike Richards, you know, they they are incurring a small cap charge, I believe, still to this day. Uh, but certainly for a number of years after that, there was a cap charge that was applied to them based on what they settled with with Mike Richards. You know, this isn't the same case for San Jose. So the Sharks have the ability to spend uh, right up into the cap ceiling. Uh, there's no there's no issues pertaining to that. Uh, but the player does get made whole financially, which you know is obviously important for him. So you know, I, I guess it's it's the best possible outcome. You know, ultimately, it made the most sense I think for them to settle between themselves. Uh, uh, with with the league and the NHL Players Association involved too, because if if you know they went through with the arbitration and the arbitrator ruled, it, it could have been all all one way or all another. In, in in other words, it could have been the contract is void and Evander Kane gets no extra money, or it could have been that hey he's reawarded to the Sharks and and you know that would have been I don't think that would have been in anyone's best interest at this point. Obviously, he's found some comfort in Edmonton. He signed a long term deal there this year after signing there midway through last season, and so. 
I think that the books close and allows everyone to move on pretty, um, you know, pretty amicably, so to speak. I mean, there's, there's just, there's, there's no, there's, there's no future problems here for the team or the player that they, they, they basically get to move on. And I'm sure they're not looking back. Speaking of moving on the dossier for Rasmus Sandin, you're based in Toronto. A lot of people are going to ask you about Rasmus Sandin. We have to get to the situation. Do you have any updates on that? The, the latest update as of Monday morning is that the sides are talking, uh, which is, I think, encouraging. You know, it, it's it's kind of a strange contract, right? I mean, we, we can get into Jason Robertson or maybe some of the other situations where there actually is a huge range of what that deal might look like, depending on on the length and all that. You know, I think with the Rasmus Sandin case, it's, it's almost assuredly going to be a one-year deal or a two-year deal he signs in Toronto. It'd be a surprise to me anyway if, if he signed anything other than for those term lengths. And, you know, he's played, what, 80, approximately 80 NHL games career. So, I mean, they're not, there's not a huge variance between what he's asking and what, what the Leafs are offering. Um, but you know, there's still enough of a, a gap there that, that, you know, he's back in Sweden as we're recording this, skating on his own with, you know, with some coaches on the ice. But there's, there's no NHL players left to be, to be skating with for him there. Everyone's, you know, come back to their NHL cities that, that he would have worked out with through the summer. And, you know, training camp opens with medicals on Wednesday and, and on ice sessions on Thursday. And, and it's appearing, you know, less and less likely, I suppose that it'll be there. Although keep in mind, often these deals get done right at, the, at that moment. And, and then the player flies and maybe only misses a day or two. That's what happened with Mitch Marner, for example. That's what happened with David Pasternak uh, back on his second NHL contract. I think he missed a day of Bruins training camp, but, you know, signed his deal right as it was opening and, and ended up joining the team pretty early on. And, and, you know, this would be an important training camp for Sandine. Um, because, you know, there, there's been some questions a little bit about sort of maybe not his work ethic, but his conditioning um, from from Sheldon Keith. He's kind of brought that up in the past. I think, you know, young players don't always put on muscle the way you, you, you'd want. And so I, I do think that him getting in and having a strong camp could benefit him in terms of being ready for the season. But, you know, the business side has to get done first. And, you know, the other thing, too, is I've, I've heard – and haven't been able to confirm 100%, but there's a, apparently a couple of Leafs players that are injured too, that, that won't be ready to start the season. And that could impact the situation too. I mean, certainly from a cap perspective, I think it might make things a little bit easier for the Leafs if they have to start with players on long-term injured reserve. When, when you go to Puckpedia or cap friendly and look at um, you look at their, their contract picture, I think some people are scratching their heads about how they can get under the cap. I think that will be one way to facilitate it, but um, there's a lot of different dynamics at play. And I think the fact that the sides are talking you know, should should point us towards a resolution being reached. But, you know, the, the last I'd heard, you know, the Leafs were sticking pretty hard on a one-year offer at his qualifying number, qualifying offer number, which is, you know, somewhere in the 800,000s, that they were willing to do a two-year deal at the same deal that Timothy Liljegren signed at 1.4 million times two. I'd heard that, that Sandin's camp uh, countered with a one-year offer at 1.4, um, somewhere in that, that neighborhood anyway. Uh, and so, look, they're, they're a couple hundred thousand dollars apart that there should be a, a solution here, but it hasn't yet manifested itself. Wow. That's re- thank you for the insight on, on the back and forth with the counter offers. That's pretty, that's pretty revealing actually. Now that I think about it. Well, I think it's natural. And, and look, well, yeah. the, the thing that's happened here is, you know, Mikey Anderson signed a deal in LA at, at one year, 1 million, you know, Maybe that's you, you might say that's a reasonable comparison for Sandy. You know, you know, a player again has established himself, played a lot of minutes in LA last year, but hasn't hasn't done it year after year after year. He's still a young guy. I mean, maybe maybe that's the solution if if, if the Sandy you know ends up wanting a one year deal. But the the point is, is they're within range. It's not you know. I think like if if you look at the Jason Robertson situation with the Dallas Stars, if he does a three year deal or a seven or eight year deal, there's there's a huge variance in what that might look like. I think. You know, with, with the season he's had, he's coming off a 40-goal year. I mean, bonus payments and those types of things could come into play a little bit more. You know, Sandin's still at the point where he's he's, he's establishing himself, whereas I think he, there's an argument to be made based on the, the two seasons, full years that Jason Robertson had as an NHL player that, that he's already there. And, and so it becomes down to what the team can afford. Do they want to lock him up long-term or does a bridge deal make the most sense? I think I think when you get in that situation, there's there's more dynamics at the bargaining table, whereas this one – where I do believe it's going to be a short-term deal. Um, you know, someone's going to have to move. And, and the, the truth is the team doesn't have to move. The team can just say, hey, this is the offer. Take it or leave it. Uh, and then the player says, okay, well, I'm not taking it. And training camp starts and, and different pressures come in. Obviously, reporters will be talking about this a lot more into this next week if he remains unsigned. And so 
that's kind of the, where we're at. Um, but I, I don't see a reason it shouldn't get done. Honestly, I think it's in the team and the players' mutual interest to have him pl- be ready to, for the season to play um, to, to play a more meaningful part of the Leafs next year. Um, but remains to be seen. They got to they got to get it done first. You mentioned Jason Robertson. Any updates on his situation in Dallas? Well, he's going to make a lot of money. You know, I, yes. I think if, if you're looking at a three-year term for him, probably something above what Elias Pettersson signed in Vancouver, uh, which was north of seven million. I think if he gets into a six or seven or eight-year deal, he's getting into the sort of Miko Ranton and Mitch Marner territory. You know, somewhere between nine and a half and eleven million. You know, t- you know, Texas is a tax-free state. You know, there's, there's some incentives there maybe for him not to push for exactly the Mitch Marner deal, but you know, something in that range, you know, I, I think is, is fair. It, there's just been very few players. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to comparables, right? And he's he's played over 100 NHL games. He's just a hair under a point per game uh, over those games. He's coming off a season where he was better than a point per game player. He scored 41 goals and not quite a full 82 game season. He missed some time. And, you know, there's, there's very few guys other than, say, a Matthews or a McDavid back when, that, that had those kind of platform seasons entering their second NHL contract. And so, you know, I, I think that there's a choice for the team to be made, that there's some cap considerations, you know, ideally you probably want to pay him now and just lock him in for the, the meat of his career. Uh, Cause if you did sign a long-term deal, that's, that's, you'd be guaranteeing yourself pretty much pretty assuredly his best seasons, but it's, it's going to come at a pretty high cost. And, and, you know, I, I know Tom Gillardi, the, the stars owner was on a podcast that, at some point over the summer and I saw the clip bouncing around, like he, he doesn't like the idea of having to pay someone so young in their career. But if you look at the league wide trend, I, I don't see how they get around that. And, you know, Dallas is a team that needs offense too. I mean, there's this, there's a different pressure point here, even in the Sandine case. I mean, this is, this is a, a absolutely key member of their team um, who I think it would be hard for the stars to play without. And so, you know, I think that they're under a little bit more heat to bring him in. It's not to diminish Sandine's role with the Leafs, but you know, they have, Morgan Riley and Jake Muzz and Mark Giordano signed that they can play the left side of their blue line. They, they have some comfort there. I think if, if for some reason they aren't able to get Sandine signed that they can move forward. But, you know, to me, Dallas needs this player signed and, you know, it's, it's kind of incumbent upon them to, to find the solution. Siege, we got you to talk a lot about hockey and news and notes and stuff. You've earned your time to answer fun questions uh, and ask CJ. Uh, The segment is back, people. We got all your questions off of Twitter and on Discord. Shout out to Discord, by the way. I don't think I've ever seen this many questions pop up on our Discord. Do you know what's funny? Yeah. It's just as an aside, James Myrtle was texting me and he's like, no more movie segments, please. It's painful. (laughs) He finds it like he can't believe the movies I haven't heard of. So. So we've had at least one, as much as some people like the movie segments, we've had some people like just saying it's like so awkward hearing me just fumble around trying to think of a plot for a movie I should know about. Okay, but how about this, though? Uh, There are people on Discord who think you should be recommended like one movie a month. So that way you can at least be up on that. Like, would you be okay with recommendations from people about like, hey, you know, you should watch this movie this month instead of you fumbling around with the plot? I think that's happening, actually. I think that we're going to have the people choose a movie, you know, once a month or so, and I'm going to put together a couple minute kind of review of it. Um, so we haven't ironed out all the details, but I know from a high level, the SDPN boys like it. I think producer Nick's on board. We just have to we have to figure out some of the logistics of it. But uh, CJ's movie review is, is coming to a YouTube channel near you. And that, my friends, is called a tease. Uh, also, I should mention, uh, Insider J Money, uh, big fan of CJ, of course. I know you handed in a lot of questions on Twitter. The reason why you're not in this today is because you asked a question that I think is a really good idea that we could probably do on Thursday's edition of the CJ Show. That is also called a tease. Let's get started with this first question off Discord. Uh, the guy's name or the person's name is Ever Been McMiked. I don't know what that is supposed to mean, but that sounds pretty interesting. If I wanted to get my friend into hockey, what team should I tell them to watch this season? Wow, great question. It's a great question. I mean, you can't go wrong with Colorado. Like, to me, not just that they won the Cup. Like, I think that they played some of the most exciting games of last season. They're just such a high-octane team. Um, You know, so I, I think that if you're trying to sort of extol the virtues of 
pretty hockey of, of nice individual plays, you know, watching Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon do their thing is a pretty good sales point for, for the, the, the sport. Uh, if you're into drama, I mean, you, you probably should be watching the Leafs. Uh, there's always some kind of drama and, and, you know, sometimes storylines and those types of things draw people in, uh, you know, an organization that, that gets so much right, but can't get their ultimate thing right is, is, pretty alluring in every sport. You know, I got some friends that are Tottenham fans in the Premier League. And they oh tell boy. me it's kind of kind of a similar kind of vibe that, that goes around that team. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan in the NFL. Reminds me a little bit of of, you know, there's there's some crossover there. Um just because it's, you know, it's not like they're terrible every year, but they they just haven't had the ultimate success in a long, long time. So those those are the two that jump to mind. And obviously Edmonton, you know, Connor McDavid's still for my money, the best individual performer in the league and, and does things that literally nobody else has ever been able to do in the, in the game. So between watching him or Kale McCarr uh, or Austin Matthews, I think that those are, those are some, even if you don't understand hockey, if you don't know all the rules, I, I feel like you, you watch them enough. You're, you're going to see some, some things and go like, wow, this is, this is special. Next one from M Vogliano 25. How do you guys feel about fans wearing jerseys to a game of a team that's not playing, like wearing a Penguins jersey at a Leafs versus Canadians game? I actually love it because it makes me laugh when I'm at a game and, and I see that. Like, like why is so and so? Like, I even I like when someone wears an old jersey too. Like, when it's just like some player from like the '90s or something, and you're like, wow, like how long has that been sitting in a closet? And you're dusting that off. So I I like the the. Personally, I realize some might call it like kind of a foul or whatever, but I, I think wear whatever jersey you want to games. I mean, this is supposed to be fun. Uh, and, you know, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, when I was a kid, I only ever had a couple jerseys, but it was always a big deal to get a jersey with someone's name on it. I mean, you should wear that thing with pride no matter which teams are playing. Considering how expensive jerseys are, I I, I think I think getting mad about them wearing a, a jersey that has nothing to do with the game, maybe it's a bit much. So, yeah, I'm with I'm with you on that. I agree. What was your first jersey? Did you ever have one as a kid or the very first jersey? So there was a lot of those. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny because um there was this like West Indian store, like not too far from where I was living with my parents. And my mom would like buy these like fake jerseys, and they weren't even a Canadian's jersey. I think I had, I think I got one from like an aunt, like when I was really young, but my mom bought these like fake like Leafs and Senators jerseys and once upon a time there's a time growing up in Quebec where if you wanted to watch hockey in English like you had to go watch what was on the CBC and more often than not you were watching Leafs and Senators games so I was watching those teams a lot well I wouldn't say I was a fan of either of them but those jerseys came into uh came into use uh but yeah it was it was probably one of those like kind of fake looking Leafs or Senge jerseys or something one of my coolest Christmas presents as a kid was getting a Doug Gilmore jersey Kind of in the height of his time with the Leafs. So it had the, I remember it had the alternate captain A on it. Um, kind of an old school vintage one. It's still somewhere. Like I, I don't have it in my closet today, but I, it's, it's probably my dad's house or something. But I remember just loving that jersey and wearing it everywhere. I got, a, I had a Wayne Gretzky too as a oh. kid, uh, an Oilers Wayne Gretzky. And it was, it was pretty cool. And it was actually the style of jersey they've gone back to now a little bit, the, the blue and orange sort of oil drop jersey. And, uh, that, that was a classic. I was a big Gretzky fan as a kid. Man, those are some really nice jerseys. The jersey I treasure, treasure the most now is a Syracuse Crunch uh, orange jersey that I got as a parting gift after I finished my internship with them there. And I remember wearing it. Speaking of wearing jerseys that have nothing to do with uh, the game pl- being played, uh, this friend of mine, uh, Scott Matlow, works at uh, Habs Eyes on the Prize, came into town from the States, and we were watching a Canadiens Flyers game. And I had the brilliant idea of thinking, oh, hey, I'll just wear this Syracuse Crunch jersey that's orange and no one will think I'm cheering for the Habs or the Flyers. The Flyers are orange. So, of course, people thought I was a Flyers fan that day. <laughs> Not your best yeah. one. I also have a Tony Romo jersey, but with no more on that. Okay. We, <laughs> we, we don't need to go more on Tony Romo. I do have a, uh, a baseball question for you from uh, cross checks for cancer. Uh, do the Jays make the playoffs or do they fall into another slump? Oh, they're making the playoffs. I think the question now is, are they the first, second or third wild card? Uh, I'd, I'd obviously love them to be the first wild card. That means they, they play all home games with the way the new baseball playoff system works. Uh, they, they'd host the best of three with all the games 
at Skydome, and I am 100% committed to overpaying for whatever those tickets cost to try oh to. Oh my get, god! To try to at least get to one of those games, should they be played here? So I don't think there's. I have no concerns, honestly, that they're going to miss the playoffs. But you know, I, I'm most closely watching whether they can secure that first wild card spot so that I can get to a game. Uh, Nick Dumoulin on Twitter. What What are your realistic expectations for the Ottawa Senators this season? And do you think they're legit? This is such a polarizing team. Like, I'm so confused by the way the Senators are discussed. Like, it, look it. I'm not here to like kick any anyone. <laughs> the Senators are in the toughest division in hockey for my money, and I just I don't see them making up 20 or whatever points they would have to 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 get um, to to really get in the playoff conversation. That being said, I love their summer, and I, and I'm glad their fan base is energized and excited. They should be like. It's, it's nice to see that team go out and, and get a, a familiar face, a big name like Flo Giroux, the, obviously the trade for Alex Dabrinkit, you know, signing, locking up Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris to eight-year extensions, you know, making some moves in, in, in their net, you know, getting rid of Matt Murray, who, you know, let's face it, just didn't work out as a member of the Senators, you know, getting Cam Talbot in. Like, I, I think that everyone has a, that's a Senators fan, and, and let's face it, that's a bit of a, suff, a long-suffering fan base, should be totally pumped about the team. That being said, I just don't see them surpassing all of Florida, Tampa, Boston, and Toronto to, to be a playoff team. They still have to contend with Buffalo and Detroit, too. I think both of those teams should be better this season. Uh, I'm not sure where the Canadians are going to be. I, I'm kind of – certainly I don't think they're a playoff team, but I don't know how bad they'll be is probably the best way to put it. I mean, this is a team that finished last overall last year. I, I'm not sure they're that – in fact, I don't think they're that bad this time around, but it's, it's sort of unclear, you know, what you're going to get from them. And I just think, so it's a competitive, difficult division. I don't see Ottawa making the playoffs, but I certainly see them being better than where they've been the last couple seasons. Uh, from prong B 11, what's a team that almost made a move or signing that would have had us looking at them completely different than we do now? Probably the devils. You know, I, I think the Devils kind of are below the radar this year. And for me, they're one of the teams that I think are poised to, to take a big step forward. Uh, you know, it makes sense. Look, they, they've been not a, a pressing concern the last number of seasons. So they've, you know, accumulated some some high draft picks. Those players are now ready, in my eyes, to break out. I think Jack Hughes is a, is a great breakout candidate. I mean, he's already sort of broken out in the past. But I, I could see him, you know, certainly having his best season as an NHL player. And I think sort of below the radar, they're a team that, that um, you know, they're a team I could see jumping up and making the playoffs, you know, that hasn't been in there the last couple of years, um, you know, but they were also in the mix for Johnny Goodrow. You know, they, they need more, they, they feel they need more high impact or, or difference making type of guys. And, and so they, you know, they didn't end up getting Goodrow, but, you know, if, if that move had gone through, I think they, there would be more hype about them. Um, you know, if, if they went out and made that kind of splash, uh, it wasn't for lack of trying, uh, you know, I think that they were at least kicking around the Matthew Kachuk trade talks. I mean, I, I, again, I, I, I sense that that was a organization that tried to get a lot more done this offseason than it managed to. That being said, I still think that they're in a good spot to take a step forward and, and let's see what happens during the, the year. I mean, if that was the case in the offseason and, and the, the team performs on the ice, there's no reason to think they won't be a, a trade deadline player as well. From uh, Jokomat15 off Discord, now that Coburg has a Starbucks, would you say that it's now complete? It's it's an elite town. I'll tell you that much. I couldn't believe Coburg had a Starbucks. <laughs> I couldn't believe like that. That felt like it never happened. So when I was a kid, Julian Coburg like fought to not let Walmart in. Uh, ultimately, Walmart did get in, but like the town literally kept Walmart out forever. So it was it was not really a town that that had all the brands or whatever. Um, and so I never really thought I'd see a Starbucks there. There's, I think that there might be four or five Tim Hortons now in Coburg. Like it's a, it's a real, it's a real Timmy Ho's kind of town, but, uh, <laughs> but Starbucks got in there. I, I've been through the Starbucks uh, drive through a couple of times and I, I very much appreciate that, uh, you know, it's coming into the 21st century there in Coburg. I appreciate you also saying Timmy Hose as well as someone who also uses that term. Well, you know, yeah, it's so like my dad, for example, Cobra Papa, I don't think he's going to Starbucks, but uh, no. yeah, he's meeting, he, he meets his buddies though every Wednesday morning and, and they have Tim Hortons. So, you know, it, it's, it's maybe going to take a little while to break in and become 
mainstream in Coburg, but I'm going to try to keep it in business in the meantime. <laughs> just secretly, you just driving through, just ordering like 20 different coffees or something. I don't know. That's funny. <laughs> All right. Um, from Kayla McKenzie on Twitter uh, at reporter, Chris, what's your favorite thing about your host? Uh, JKA McKenzie uh, asks CJ, uh, you better answer this question. I know. I, thought, <laughs> I actually answered it on Twitter. I was like, we might need two full episodes to, to go deep on that one. But I'd say the thing I like most about my host is he doesn't have a bad day. Uh, he always shows up prepared um, in a great mood and, and he makes us a lot of fun. So He's uh, Julian's a great guy. I'm so happy for your success, but I know I said that in our mini sode, but I'm excited to see all the things you're going to do out there in Calgary. It's cool. You're getting some new career opportunities and, and challenges, and I'm just happy to be along for the ride, uh, the rocket ship to the top that you're riding. The feeling is mutual with you uh, as you are a smart, confident, amazing colleague, and it is an honor and a blessing to host your podcast twice a week. Uh, last question for you from Flex Luther 4 on Discord. My question is, can we be friends? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't ask a lot of my friends, you know, I, I try to be a friend to everybody and we can be, we can be friends. Hopefully Flex Luther comes out the next time we have a, a, a open event for the SDPN for fans. I know that there's some talk about getting the puck talks up and running again in the Toronto area. If, if oh. you're here Flex and if not, you know, I'm sure you have lots of opportunities to meet me somewhere. Cause I, I really like, being out there and getting to know people and sharing our love of, of hockey and, and all things around it, because that's, uh, it's given me so much of my life. And so I'm, you know, trying to, to give back and, and, and share it too. You know, it's, it's a great game, a great sport. And there's so many great people around it, whether it's, it's other colleagues I've met, uh, people that work for the teams, agents, players, you know, my, my media colleagues, uh, I've just met so many great people through this game and hope you're going to be one of them. Man, that is a great way to end off uh, the season two premiere of the Chris Johnston show. Great way to dust off the cobwebs, huh? It is. I don't know if you saw, I went through and did like every day. We're probably going to do an episode. It's a little daunting looking at it all written out, but uh, one down 90 something episodes to go, bud. Oh my God. You know what's crazy? I started looking at that list too. And I guess this is just a sign of, of how my life has changed. There are dates I'm like, oh God we might have to like switch them around because I might be in a different city. Normally it's you. We have to think about that with, but there's a possibility that it might happen with me. I'm sure it will, but uh, we'll manage it. It's a, uh, it's a work in progress always, but uh, it's cool to, to see you in this new location. I'm trying to up my own game here. This microphone, I've seen some of you complaining about my mic issues. I'm going to get them figured out this season. It's not quite there today, but by, by season, by episode three, by a week from now, this microphone is going to be spot on top quality man i can't wait for all the episodes that are going to be coming out all the content we're going to be up for uh for the season two of the chris johnston show cj always a pleasure to do these shows with you we'll be back on thursday with a brand spanking new episode for cj i'm julian saying so long in peace and enjoy training camp as well have a great week everyone it's gonna be awesome the chris johnston show Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at Reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.